0: Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm normally your co-host, Mike, but tonight I'm just your host, Mike, as John is preoccupied and unable to join us for this podcast. However, he will be back for the week 13 review podcast, so you can look forward to that. But in the meantime, you've got me for the preview, and I'm going to get you ready for all these Big Ten games. Here we are in the last week of the season. Hard to believe. It's gone by seemingly in the blink of an eye. But here we are in late November and the season, regular season. The greatest season in all of college or all of sports is the college football regular season. And it's drawing to a close. So that is sad. But what's not sad is that it's rivalry week. And that's really exciting. Rivalry week, when you get to bring out All of your sports in-group, out-group dislike and place it on that team that bothers you in a special way. That bothers you more than other teams bother you. That you play against. And that's what Rivalry Week is all about. I am excited to talk about all these rivalry games because we have a lot of them. we got a lot of trophies on the line. Some of which, if I'll be honest, are better than others. The trophies, I mean. I won't go too in-depth critiquing them because I don't want to harsh anybody's vibe. But I'm excited to talk about all of these games. All right, let's get right into it then. So it's the we, the first games are on Black Friday, November 24th. So we've got the 9-2, number 17, Iowa Hawkeyes visiting the 5-6, and six Nebraska Cornhuskers. Nebraska is trying to end the longest bowl drought of any Power Five conference team, so there's a lot of pressure on Nebraska to find a way to win this game. It's also the lowest over under ever for a college football game at 26 and a half. This is a, I believe that's major college football. This is a historically low over under, so that's pretty incredible. We are breaking history on a weekly basis in the Big Ten, one way or another. All right, This is an 11 a.m. game on CBS, and they play for the Heroes Trophy in this game. The line is Nebraska negative two and a half, which seems a little ridiculous. I'll be honest. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. Iowa has gone nine and two for the year. It definitely feels like a wrong team favored kind of game. I know Nebraska has a real home field advantage. But with the role Iowa is on, it just seems ridiculous for them to be the underdog in this game. However, I'm sure Kirk Ferentz loves being the underdog and will use it for motivation to get his team up. Iowa's won three straight and six of their last seven games. So the Hawkeyes are on a big roll heading into this Black Friday game against Nebraska. And last year, of course, Nebraska defeated Iowa in this game in a big upset. So Iowa will be trying to avenge that. Total yards, Iowa averages 247 yards offensively, while Nebraska averages 317 yards allowed. Iowa's allowing 281 to Nebraska's 308. Iowa QB Deacon Hill has played a lot better the last couple games. As for the first time all season, Iowa's had a passing game. Hill had 223 yards passing against Rutgers and 167 against Illinois. Those aren't eye-popping numbers, but Iowa has been a one-dimensional offense this year, so it's added a welcome balance to have some semblance of a passing attack. That opens up the running game when defenses have to at least respect the pass. Also, Deacon Hill didn't turn it over last week, which was a big deal, so good for Deacon. Iowa's continued to do a running back by committee thing with LaShawn Williams and Caleb Johnson getting the bulk of the carries, while Jazz Patterson also gets some carries. Iowa uh, at wide receiver Caleb Brown and Nico Ragaini have stepped up the past couple weeks. Iowa wants to continue that passing success this week, and they'll need to pass the ball some, as Nebraska is an extremely stingy run defense. Iowa didn't seem to miss star DB Cooper Dejean last week. That's a credit to Phil Parker and the rest of the Iowa defense um, for keeping up at a high level, even without their superstar player. For Nebraska, Chubba Purdy gave the offense a shot in the arm last week with his legs and his arm uh, in his first game starting at quarterback, especially in the first half. Purdy had 169 yards passing and 105 rushing two TDs, and one interception. But his ability to make plays with his legs had a big impact on the Badger defense in the first half, particularly. Purdy's a more dynamic runner than Sims or Harburg is. Um, It'll be interesting to see what kind of impact, if any, Purdy can have on the ground against Iowa. Iowa is a very stout run defense, and you can bet they'll be spying Purdy and trying to take away his legs. He can extend plays uh, and either run or pass. So he's particularly dangerous that way. From Iowa's perspective, if the Hawkeyes are going to lose to Chubba Purdy, they want it to be because of Purdy's arms, not because of his legs. Because of his arm, excuse me, just the one arm that he throws with. He doesn't throw with two arms. That would be silly. All right, Nebraska's thin for playmakers, but they have to get Emmett Johnson going in the running game. He's their clear top back, and it would be huge if they could get him going on the ground. You don't want the Hawkeyes to take away the running game and force you out of your comfort zone. Nebraska is a run-first team. They have to get the run game going if they're going to have a chance to beat the Hawkeyes. This could be a big game for tight end Thomas Fedoni to act as a safety blanket for an inexperienced QB. So I'd look for him, especially on third and medium to long, for the tight end to be a big option for Purdy. Is there a letdown for Iowa after the big division-clinching win against Illinois? That was an emotional win. So I don't think so. But it was an emotional win, and they do have the Big Ten title game next week. So there's opportunity for a letdown, particularly early in the game. So that'll be something to track, whether Iowa comes out sharp or whether they come out a little slow and Nebraska's able to get ahead just as they did against Wisconsin. Nebraska's weakness on D is the secondary. So whether or not Iowa can pass the ball will go a long way towards deciding who wins this game. I'm saying they can pass the ball a bit this week, and Iowa benefits from that. I do think that either team could win this game by a couple scores. This game could go really sideways if one team wins the turnover battle decisively. However, I don't predict that. I think it'll be... I think Iowa will win the turnover battle, but it'll be close, like something like 2 to 1 or 3 to 2 or something like that. And ultimately, I think Iowa wins the game and gets to 10 wins. So I've got the Iowa Hawkeyes 13, the Nebraska Cornhuskers 9. All right, next up, I've got the 9 and 2 Number 11, Penn State Nittany Lions visiting the 4-7 and seven Michigan State Spartans. This is a 6.30 p.m. game on NBC. The line is Penn State by 21. Total yards, Penn State averages 373 to Michigan State's 310. And yards allowed, Penn State's giving up just 249 yards per game, which is really impressive. Uh, by contrast, Michigan State's giving up 389, which is quite a bit. These two teams play for the land-grant trophy, so there's hardware on the line here. Always, as always, an added incentive. Penn State has to win this game to solidify its chances to land a New Year's bowl- Six Bowl game, so the Nittany Lions have a lot to play for on Friday. Penn State's offense hasn't been great of late to the point James Franklin fired his OC. The Nittany Lions will want to get back on track against Sparty if at all possible. QB Drew Aller got knocked out of the Rutgers game with an injury, but Penn State coach James Franklin has said that he expects Aller to play on Saturday. So if he can play, that's great news for the Nittany Lions. They didn't appear to trust the backup to throw the ball very much, so it'll be good to have Aller back as he's completing 61% of his passes for the year and has over 2,000 yards passing. Katron Allen and Nick Singleton will look to have big days against a suspect Sparty rush defense. Expect Penn State to lean heavily on the run game, given Sparty's defensive weaknesses and the fact that Aller is coming off an injury can see Michigan State score some by featuring Malik Carr in the passing game and maybe running the ball a bit with Nathan Carter. But ultimately, this is a tough Penn State defense. I think Sparty is going to have a hard time moving the ball consistently. So I've got the Penn State Nittany Lions 31, the Michigan State Spartans 7. All right, next up, and all the rest of the games are played on Saturday, November 25th. We have a big game. We have the game. The 11-0 and number two Ohio State Buckeyes going to Ann Arbor to take on the 11-0 and number three Michigan Wolverines for this year's edition of the game. This is an 11 a.m. game on Fox, better known as the Big Noon kickoff game. And boy, is it a big one. The line is Michigan negative three. The line started actually at Michigan negative four and a half, but it's since moved in Ohio State's direction. So I wonder what caused the line to move Ohio State's way. What is it that Vegas knows that we don't? I don't have an answer to that question. I'm posing it to you. Maybe you, the listener, does. If so, sound off in the comments and let us know. All right, total yards. Ohio State is averaging 429, while Michigan is averaging an even 400 yards. Defensively, Ohio State's allowing just 255 yards, while Michigan's even better, allowing just 236 yards on the year. Um, this is quite simply the game we have been looking forward to all month in the Big Ten. We've got and probably all of college football, if we're being totally honest. Two undefeated teams ranked second and third in the country, respectively. A spot in the Big Ten title game and a berth in the college football playoff are both on the line. I mean, college football games do not come any bigger than this Michigan-Ohio State game on Saturday, folks. This is about as good as it gets, so enjoy this game because it is a monster. For Michigan, you have a team that's coming off its, I'm going to say, quote-unquote, worst performance of the season. Of course, they still beat Maryland, but it was a close game in the fourth quarter, and Maryland had chances to win that game. So you wonder if Michigan got caught looking ahead to Ohio State a little bit, which would be understandable. Well, they don't have to look ahead anymore. The latest high-stakes edition of the game has arrived. Michigan offense has been a machine all year, but the last two weeks, they've gone away from the passing game and focused on the running game. This seems a little crazy to me, as J.J. McCarthy is having a fantastic year, completing an absurd 74% of his passes for nearly 10 yards per attempt. Add 18 TDs and just four picks. And McCarthy is having a fabulous year. So why, then, has Michigan gone away from the passing game the last couple weeks versus Penn State and Maryland? Michigan had just 60 yards uh, passing against Penn State and 141 against Maryland. That is not going to get it done this week against Ohio State. Michigan is not going to just be able to line up and win up front like they have against everybody else all year. This Ohio State defense is truly elite, and Michigan will need a balanced attack to score points on this Jim Knowles coach unit. Knowles was widely maligned last year for how his defense underachieved against Michigan and also against Georgia. You can bet he's had this game circled on his calendar as it's his chance to prove his defense is up to the task and can limit those big Michigan plays. Michigan will look to establish Blake Corum in the running game, but Corum and Edwards can't be the entire offense the way they have been the past couple weeks. The Wolverines need wide receivers Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, and tight end Colston Loveland to make plays in the passing game to loosen up the spuckeye defense. Michigan has to prove that they can make plays on the outside just like Ohio State can. For Ohio State, it's about finding ways to get the ball to your playmakers. Running back Travion Henderson, wide receivers Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka, and tight end Cade Stover. QB Kyle McCord is a very good quarterback who has steadily improved all year, but he's also not the second coming of C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields. Ohio State will need to scheme up some big pass plays to make sure their QB gets off to a good start and has confidence. The last thing you want is for McCord to start out one and six, one for six, as Michigan races out to an early lead. Ohio State has got to run the ball with Henderson as they have since he got he- back healthy. That running game takes a lot of pressure off McCord. Travion Henderson has been explosive and dominant since he returned from injury. They are going to need to. Um, to ride him on Saturday and commit to the running game, whether it works or not. You can't throw too many passes too early in the game, or you will give that Michigan pass rush a chance to dominate. The Ohio State running game can help keep the Michigan D-line honest and keep them from teeing off on an already somewhat gimpy Kyle McCord. So that's really imperative That Ohio State can keep Michigan honest. And I think Ohio State has to run the ball a little bit to do that. I'd go so far as to say if one team can run the ball and the other can't, the team that runs the ball well is going to win this game. And that's happened in, I think, every edition of the game going back 20-plus years. The team that has rushed the ball for the most yards has won this game. So that's something to keep in mind. That's a trend that I expect to continue. For Ohio State, wide receiver Marvin Harrison isn't just the best wide receiver in the game. As I've said before, he's the best in the country and probably the best football player in the country. Ohio State needs to find ways to feature him, despite the fact that he will be bracketed and double teamed most of the time. How many big plays can they scheme for Marvin Harrison? I think that's going to go a long way towards deciding who wins this game. We've talked about Ohio State's O-line being a relative weakness all season, but are they? They haven't seemed to be. But is this the game against Michigan that they get exposed a little bit? If so, that's a huge advantage for the Wolverines and would bode well if Michigan's going to win up front like that. Another question I have, as unfortunately this time of year you always have, is which team is healthier? And is Roman Wilson okay? That's a big deal. It sounds like he's going to play, so I'll predict this game as if Roman Wilson is playing, but he's the guy who takes the top off the opposing defense for Michigan, with both leads to, which both uh, leads to big plays to Wilson, but also it opens up other receivers underneath. So why has Michigan held back the passing game in recent weeks? I'll ask you again. Why? Are they just holding back for Ohio State? You know, I'm going to say yes. And maybe they wanted to get J.J. McCarthy as healthy as possible, knowing he's going to have to run the ball some against the Buckeyes to make it work, just like he did last year. I do think Michigan has a couple plays, you know, just a, a, a small handful that they hold back all year that they break out just for Ohio State. We saw that last year and they broke off some big ones with some with some uh, misdirection and trick plays. Whether or not they convert those shots they take will go a long way towards deciding who wins this edition of the game. McCarthy played great last year against Ohio State. He needs to be able to make plays both with his arm and with his legs again this year. And then the question that we have to ask is how much does it matter that Harbaugh isn't on the sideline? I think it makes a demonstrable difference that he's not there to guide the game plan and make decisions in big moments. So to sum it up, both teams going into this game are playing elite defense, running the ball great and throwing the ball decently well, but with minor questions about the passing game. For Ohio State, it's about McCord being consistent, and about Michigan, it's about this weird move away from the passing game in recent weeks and what that signifies going into the game. Ultimately, in a game between two teams who are similarly dominant, two teams who have gone 11-0 and against challenging Big Ten schedules, I think these teams are really closely matched are really evenly matched. I do think, though, that Ohio State has the better weapons with Travion Henderson and Marvin Harrison and Emeka Gbuka and that depth, Cade Stover. I think that they find a way to pull off the upset. It'll come down to a long pass completion to Marvin Harrison either for a touchdown or to set up a touchdown. And I think Ohio State makes just one more offensive play than Michigan does. So I've got the Ohio State Buckeyes 28, the Michigan Wolverines 24. Next up, we've got the 3-8 Indiana Hoosiers going to West Lafayette to play the 3-8 Purdue Boilermakers. It's an 11 a.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Purdue, negative three and a half. Total yards, Indiana averages 331 to Purdue's 373. Yards allowed, Indiana's allowing 416, and Purdue is 384. So neither defense has been very good uh, for either of these squads this year. Indiana and Purdue play for the old Oaken Bucket. That's a very solid rivalry trophy. So good work on that. Hudson Card was out last game, but coach Ryan Walters says he is expected to play on Saturday. That's big news for the Boilermakers as they clearly miss Card in their loss to Northwestern. Did I say Ryan Walters? Ryan Walters. Um, Card is the straw that stirs the drink for Purdue and they need him to get the passing game going. But, The running game has been solid of late for the Boilermakers. And with Card coming off an injury, I expect Purdue to focus on the running game in this upcoming game. Running back Tyrone Tracy is averaging a crazy 6.5 yards per rush, while Devin Mockaby is rock solid at 5 yards per rush. Purdue needs to ride that hot running game against a suspect Hoosier defense. And Deion Burks, wide receiver for Purdue, has to get it going in the passing game. He's got seven TDs this year, and I predict he scores another on Saturday. I think Purdue will need it. For Indiana, QB Brendan Sorsby has played pretty well of late, although he did have a slow first half last week. He's going to need to bring more of that second half energy to Purdue for the whole game this week. Like Purdue, IU's running game has flourished a bit in recent weeks. They need to get Howland and Henderson going like they did last week against Sparty. Donovan McCulley is a force at wide receiver for IU. Need guys like Dequise Carter and EJ Williams to step up and make some plays this week also. Ryan Walters has done a good job coaching as Purdue has improved throughout the year. So I think he deserves credit for that. Um, I flat out think that IU needs this win more than Purdue does. Purdue's in year one of a rebuild. They can sell improvement and hope. Tom Allen has been at this job for a while. He's having a disappointing season. I think Allen needs to beat Purdue to win back some goodwill with the Indiana Faithful. Brandon Sorsby has to come up big for Tom Allen, so they can pull off this upset. So, I expect the winner of the turnover battle in a lot of these games. I think it's going to come down to these are evenly matched teams. It's going to come down to who wins the turnover battle, who converts in the red zone. So I'm going to predict that Indiana wins the turnover battle in this game and that they win the football game in a close one. So I've got the Indiana Hoosiers 24, the Purdue Boilermakers 20. All right. Next up, we've got the 6-5 and five Northwestern Wildcats at the 5-6 and six Illinois Illini. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Illinois negative 5.5, which honestly seems like a lot of points for Illinois to be favored by, to be honest. I think this game is much closer to a coin flip kind of contest. So I'm sort of surprised that Illinois, not that Illinois is favored, that doesn't surprise me, but just that Illinois is favored by that much. I thought we'd be talking two and a half, three points, maybe. Illinois needs to win this game to make a bowl game, which is key. Bowl games are important because they give your program 15 extra practices, which are essential in developing younger players missing out on a bowl game is bad for the development of your program so it's really a big deal whether these teams make a bowl games or not so this is a huge game for Illinois in particular total yards northwestern is 298 to illinois is 385 yards allowed northwestern's averaging 343 to and illinois is 378 For the Cats, it's all about getting QB Ben Bryant going in the passing game. He's completing 60% of his passes and is pretty efficient that way, although he averages just 6.4 yards per attempt in the pass-happy scheme. Running back Cam Porter had the best game he's had in a while against Purdue with 95 yards and two TDs. He's a good back, so it was nice to see him finally get some blocking last week. The Cats will continue trying to run the ball against this below-average Purdue defense, in my opinion. Cats need to continue to get big passing plays via Johnson, Kurtz, and Henning, um, as they have been doing. For Illinois, new QB John Paddock has given the downfield passing game a shot in the arm since he took over from Luke Altmeyer. Paddock is only completing 56% of his passes, but he averages a robust 8.7 yards per attempt. So he's getting the ball downfield and making plays. He also has six TDs to just one pick. Running back Caden Fagan is out for the year for Illinois. So it's up to Reggie Love to lead the way in the running game. Illinois will want to get Love going against this Wildcat front. Um, The problem is that Illinois is really banged up at running back. So they need Reggie Love to stay healthy. At wide receiver, Isaiah Williams is, you know, the star for Illinois with nearly a thousand yards receiving. In fact, he should break a thousand yards on Saturday. It's been an incredible season for him, and he'll look to cap it up with off with some more highlight reel plays. Time to count on John Paddock and Isaiah Williams in the Illinois offense. I think they have to focus on that and making those big plays in the passing game. Um, cause they can't push Reggie love too hard because I just don't know what the depth looks like behind him at running back. So they got to protect him. Northwestern has consistently come up with goal line stands in key moments of games. That's been essential in several of their wins this year. And that's something I think to track in this game, whether or not they're able to get stops in the red zone when they need to. David Braun for Northwestern won the the job outright after being the interim and now he deserves to win Big 10 coach of the year, I think. Because Northwestern was supposed to go 2 and 10 this year. To be 6 and 5 is at this point in the year with what this program what happened with this program off the field is borderline miraculous. Um it's wild what he's accomplished and he deserves all the credit. That said, Illinois flat out needs this game more and they'll play with desperation. So I think it's a close game throughout, but Illinois advantage on the defensive line will be enough to neutralize that Wildcats offense. Once both teams make their initial adjustments. So I think Illinois wins an ugly one here. I've got the Illinois Illini 27 Northwestern Wildcats, 20. All right, next up, we've got a game that is very close to my heart. We've got the six and five Wisconsin Badgers traveling to Dinkytown to play the five and six Minnesota Golden Gophers. This is a 2:30 p.m. game on FS1. The line is Wisconsin negative two and a half. Uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin play for Paul Bunyan's Axe, which is one of the greatest rivalry trophies in all of college football. Um, So all hail the Axe. And this is another game that will determine whether a team becomes bowl eligible. Minnesota hasn't missed a bowl since PJ Flex inaugural season in 2017. It would feel like a gigantic step backwards if Minnesota misses a bowl game this year. It would be also a long offseason with the Twin Cities media and the fan base if P.J. misses a bowl game and surrenders the axe. So the Gophers have a ton to play for here um, and are going to be, I think, a somewhat desperate team on Saturday. Total yards, Wisconsin's averaging 367 to Minnesota's 304. Yards allowed, Wisconsin's allowing 336. To Minnesota's 370. So neither defense has been particularly good this year and has had some some really bad games along the way. For Wisconsin, QB Tanner Mordecai has given them a jolt since he returned from a hand injury at QB. His ability to extend plays with his legs has been particularly useful to this Badger offense. They will need him to extend plays against a gopher defense that has been prone to breakdowns on the back end. Running back Braylon Allen looked healthier last week, and that's important. Allen is the Badger running game. There's a dramatic drop-off in run success when he's out of the ball game. Wisconsin will want to ride their bell cow hard in this game. Um, however, it's said that, or Braylon Allen said himself, that he hasn't been practicing but was able to play in the game. So how healthy is he? How healthy will he be coming out of that game? What's he going to look like on Saturday? Um I wish I knew those things because that would give me a a better idea of how this game is going to play out if I knew whether Braylon Allen is going to be his fully effective self or if he's going to be banged up and something somewhat less than 100% or less than, you know, 90%. In the passing game for Wisconsin, Will Pauling has emerged as the top receiver. They will need him to make plays on third and medium to long to keep drives alive in this game. For Minnesota, QB, Ethan kaliak has been up and down all year. Ethan played particularly well last year against Wisconsin, so he will try to recreate that performance this Saturday. kaliak is completing just 53% of his passes for the year, although, to be fair, Minnesota is second in the Big Ten in drops. So his receivers haven't always helped him out. They will need these receivers to play better and catch the ball on Saturday. One guy who virtually always catches the ball is star wide receiver Daniel Jackson. He's having an elite year and will be the focus of the Gopher passing game. Gophers need more consistent play out of slot receiver Corey Crooms and tight end Brevin Spanford. Brevin Spanford in particular has had a lot of drops. Um, gophers need to make those catches when they're there to be made and avoid drop Saturday. If they're going to defeat the Badgers, that's just absolutely essential. The big questions for Minnesota revolve around health. I guess for both teams, the big questions revolve around health. Does Minnesota have any running backs besides Jordan Newbin who are healthy enough to play? We saw Zach Evans play, then get banged up and leave the game last week. Is he back this week? Is he able to play? What about Darius Taylor? He's been out for several weeks now and is a dynamic difference maker. Whether or not either Taylor or Evans can play could be the difference in this game and what is projected to be a very close game. It also matters who plays at linebacker for the Gophers. Will Maverick Baranowski or Cody Lindenberg be back? If yes, I feel a lot better about the Gopher defense. If neither of those guys can play, then I'm concerned about the linebacker position. So it feels like a lot will come down to health on Saturday for both of these teams. I think Minnesota needs this game a lot more than Wisconsin does since Wisconsin already got bowl eligible last week. If Minnesota loses, it will be, again, a really long offseason in Town, both for the fan base and for the coaching staff. But especially this coaching staff, this media, will drag him through the coals all off-season if he goes five and seven. I mean, he will just absolutely be lampooned. I can't stress enough how hard the media will be on him. And, you know, the standard has been raised here to a point where you expect to at very least go to a bowl game every year. So missing a bowl game would feel like a major step back. And the program would deserve some criticism if they take that big, that major step back. They've taken a step back this year, But how major of a step back? Whether or not they win Saturday defines that. I believe PJ Fleck will go all out and be more aggressive than usual in an attempt to defeat the Badgers. We've seen that in past years with Wisconsin where PJ has been more aggressive on fourth down, going for it, and a little more aggressive just in his decision-making in general, throwing the ball down the field, stuff like that. So I expect that version of PJ Fleck to be coaching on Saturday. Um, and I think the key will be the go for defensive line and pass rush. I believe the Gopher D line will have a good day containing Tanner Mordecai. Now, that doesn't mean I think they're going to have a bunch of sacks. Um, Necessarily, necessarily by containing him, I mean, preventing a bunch of pass plays that break down where Mordecai runs for first downs. That success containing Mordecai in the pocket will help lead the Gophers um, to positive outcomes in this game if they can make that happen. If Mordecai gets loose four, five, six times and runs for first downs to extend drives, then you're talking about points on the board and you're worried about what's going on with this Gopher defense. So I think that's something that we need to track in this game, whether or not the Gophers can contain Tanner Mordecai and stop him from running the ball. At the end of the day, I think the Gophers hit one or two deep shots to Daniel Jackson. And I think that's the difference in what will be a really close game. So I've got the Minnesota Golden Gophers 20, the Wisconsin Badgers 17. All right, last up. We've got the 6-5 and five Maryland Terrapins going to Piscataway to play the 6-5 and five Rutgers Scarlet Knights. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Maryland negative one. Total yards, Maryland averages 384 to Rutgers 303. Yards allowed, Maryland's allowing 341, Rutgers 317. Uh, these teams could not be more different offensively. For Maryland, it's all about getting QB Leah Tugavailoa in the passing game going. They live and die on their senior QB's arm and legs. For Rutgers, it's about the running game with running back Kyle Monungay and also QB Gavin Wimsat. Rutgers does not pass the ball well, so the QB run game is an integral part of their offense, and they need that run game production from the running back and quarterback spots. For Maryland... QB Leah Tugavaiolo is completing 66% of his passes for over 3,000 yards on 7.4 yards per attempt, 22 TDs, so that's all really good, but 10 picks, which is not as good. The ball security has not always been great with Leah, despite the fact that he's an experienced senior. That said, Leah is prolific offensively and he can burn you at any point. To me, this is the key of the whole game. Rutgers will be able to run the ball and Maryland will be able to throw the ball. So the question for me is who takes care of the ball? The team that protects the ball better wins this game. I think that team is Maryland, as I believe Gavin Wimsat will throw yet another killer goal line or red zone pick in this game that will help boost the Terrapins to victory. Maryland play tends to play up to or down to the competition they're playing they look great against the ohio states and michigan's the world and sometimes terrible against other teams but i think maryland puts it together here plays a pretty solid game and goes out of there with a win so i've got the maryland terrapins 24 and the Rutgers scarlet knights 17. all right well thank you for rocking with me today it was awesome being to preview all these Week 13 Big Ten games with you. I hope you have an awesome time watching football this weekend and a fantastic Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving early to everyone. And, yeah, win, lose. Win or lose, we'll be back to review these this weekend. So thanks for tuning in. Take it easy.